Welcome back to the Voting While Black podcast. We're talking with the candidates running for president in 2020, getting real about what they think about race and exactly how they would help the movement for racial justice. I'm Rashad Robinson from Voting While Black, the nation's largest Black-led, volunteer-driven voter mobilization program, a project of Color of Change PAC. My guest today is Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Senator Warren forged her path in politics by fighting for economic justice and fighting against the ability of corporations to exploit people. Notably, she was the driving force behind the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, established in 2010. We talked about what racial justice looks like to her, how she intends to hold corporations accountable for racial injustice, and why Silicon Valley feels threatened by her proposed policies. Here's what she shared. Welcome, Senator Warren. The Voting While Black podcast is about more than just the policies surrounding racial justice. It is also about the power we need to move closer towards that justice. At Color of Change, I talk a lot about the difference between presence in power. Presence is visibility, awareness, retweets. It's people talking about our issues. But power is the ability to change the rules. Yes. And so this conversation is not just about the what Mm -hmm. of all the policies that we want to push, but also the how. Mm -hmm. How do we get there? How do we overcome the forces that far too often stand in the way of making justice real? And so I want to start off with the first question, really, to ask you about a moment, an issue, a policy where you were able to champion racial justice, to make racial justice real. So, so let me set the scene. Yes. yes. Uh, you may remember uh, that uh, we had decades, of course, of discrimination against African-Americans on housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written into the law. Uh, the federal government subsidized housing for white people, discriminated against black people with redlining, and created this huge black-white wealth gap. Laws change in the mid-1960s, and you see that start to shrink. We actually prohibit that kind of discrimination. And you see, interestingly enough, white families' housing goes up a little, and black families a lot more. So the the gap is starting to close. And then giant financial institutions turn around and see, whoa, there is big money now in housing in communities of color. So That's when they decide to start rolling out their predatory mortgages. Mm -hmm. I mean, the worst of the worst. And remember, this was not to help people buy homes. This was to come in and get people who already owned homes to refinance and then lose their homes two years or four years later. So um, by the 2000s, man, I was ringing every alarm bell I could Mm -hmm. to say, No, 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 this is terrible. This is a crisis coming our way. It's in communities of color. Look at the numbers on this. And starting to spread across the country. And of course, ultimately, that's what happened. And it brought down the entire economy Mm -hmm. in 2008. So my view of this was, look, you can't stop every form of corporate cheating in one bite. But you can at least make sure that they don't cheat in this way next time. Mm 
And that is both targeting communities of color and cheating people on financial instruments, on home mortgages, credit cards, payday loans, Mm -hmm. all of these financial products. And so I started pushing for a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Mm -hmm. And uh, the basic idea was pretty simple. A cop on the beat who would actually watch out for consumers. Pretty shocking Mm -hmm. idea, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And specifically would have an office of discrimination. So it would look at discrimination in lending, which drains more and more money out of communities of color and Mm -hmm. targets people of color. So people started out telling me, you'll never get that passed. Don't even try. The big banks will never go along. The Republicans will never go Shoot bunch of the Democrats will never go along with this. And so, you know, the way I heard this was try harder, you know. Uh, And I just thought, I'm not going to let this moment pass without getting deep in this fight. Mm -hmm. So I proposed this agency, kept getting out there, banging the drum for it. And by golly, President Obama talked about it on late night TV more and more folks got engaged, more groups yeah. came in. We had no natural constituency. You know, there's, it's not like yeah. there's some consumer group specifically focused on that. And so during the course of the adoption of Dodd-Frank, I, this was my mm-hmm. one thing mm-hmm. I kept hammering on. And President Obama defended it from the White House, even in some cases yeah. against people in his own administration and certainly against the big banks. By the way, the big banks during that period of time are estimated to have spent about a million dollars a day for over a year lobbying against that agency and against the financial mm-hmm. reforms generally. So finally, we just we got enough outside pressure mm-hmm. and with inside leadership with the president, mm-hmm. got it passed into law. And uh, now that agency has forced giant financial institutions to return more than $12 billion directly to people that they cheated and has been an effective watchdog in beating back Mm -hmm. lending discrimination. Now, during the Trump administration, that's kind of gone on to hold. They've had some terrible people in charge, but but it makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we hear a lot about the big banks. We hear a lot about the forces, corporate forces that are oftentimes standing in the way of this progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of what we hear on the campaign trail is candidates saying, I'm going to do this when I get into office. And I think that that is incredibly important. But as a movement organization, we need to know what does a candidate need from us, Yes. right? Nothing happens without movements. Um, right. And so I'm interested both in terms of putting... Um, consumer protections in place. If you can talk a little bit more about how movements played a role in that and how you, um, as president, would work hand-in-hand with movements to achieve the type of goals to just get the policies, but also to hold on to them. Right. So you are, of course, exactly right. We're not going to get real change without movements. Mm -hmm. That's just not going to happen. And in the case of the consumer agency, I had this idea, and I did... (laughs) what college professors do. Mm -hmm. I wrote an article about it. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought, well, there it is. I'll explain this. And the problem was there's no pressure to make that happen. And at the same time, the giant corporations, these big banks, big financial institutions, Wall Street, shit, they're lobbying against it like crazy every day. 
our only chance is if movements are going to begin there bringing counter pressure, yeah. pushing back. Because there's always money on the other side. There's always organization on the other side. So it's got to be that movements are active, engaged, and make themselves felt. So that people in Congress mm -hmm. actually are hearing from, whoa, you know, how did this blow up? How did I get asked this yes. at a town hall? You know, why am I getting all these phone calls where people are asking me specifically whether or not I will support this consumer agency? It is a huge difference. For me, the whole way I think about change is it takes really two things. It takes one person working the inside, leading, mm -hmm. saying, here's what we can do, getting on the front lines, doing the, the push and the, the headlines mm -hmm. around it. And it takes an entire movement to put pressure on the government on our Congress, on our state legislatures, to work for the people instead of for giant corporations. And you get both of those working, mm -hmm. and that's when we make real change. I want to uh, shift and talk a little bit about big tech, another place Whoa. where corporations <laughs> yep. have um, played a deep role over our life. And there's so many problems, right, that big tech is causing from the sort of ways in which surveillance is impacting so many of our lives, particularly um, tools that impact communities of color, um, mm -hmm. the gig economy, the sort of uh, rampant spread of misinformation, mm -hmm. whether it be in our elections, whether it be targeted towards black folks and communities of color or at the intersection of gender. We've been doing a lot of work to hold big tech companies accountable for a while. And for years, we've pressured Facebook to protect its black users, which resulted in a civil rights audit mm -hmm. um, where they've had to look at all of their policies and practices and work to change. I recognize, and we've said to Facebook, even when we were doing uh, the shareholder action against them, that as much as we've seen some change from them, we recognize that the rules um, will only allow them to change so much. Mm -hmm. We just are seeing statements coming out of Facebook that they are a little worried about you and some yes. of the things that you have put forward. So tell us a little bit about the policies. Why are the folks at Facebook um, so upset or afraid of your candidacy? Although, do understand, it's not me alone. Yeah, it's right. me with you mm -hmm. that they're yes. worried about. Yes. It's the inside and the outside together that mm -hmm. they're really worried about. So I think of it this way. It's a fundamental question about power. They have it, a lot of it, a lot more than anyone recognizes, and they basically don't want to share any of it. They don't want to turn loose of any of it. So whether we're talking about privacy issues, where they make a bucket of money off selling your personal information, or we're talking about how they run their operations so that they stamp out little businesses, stamp out competitors, and keep growing the size of what they've got, or as you say, selling new services like mm -hmm. surveillance, yeah. um, selling it to the government, selling it to private industry. And they are they want to tell themselves a story about what good guys they are. Yeah. But they don't really want to share any power. So that's how you end up with them saying, no, we can't, we can't do that. The true threat to them is not one statute or one regulation. 
It's the notion of real movement power combined with courageous leadership. And they look at that and say, that's going to be a real problem for us. So for example, I've said with big tech, they should be broken up. Mm -hmm. We should enforce the antitrust laws. And the reason for that is partly straight old economics, right? You should have lots of different folks offering lots of different packages and then you can pick the one you like and we get competition. That's how markets are supposed to work. But a big part of it is when you get concentrated industry like this, it's concentrated power. That then means they call the shots in Washington. And they do it in a hundred different ways. Sure, they do it through campaign contributions. They do it through lobbying. Mm -hmm. They do it through bought and paid for experts. They do it through contributions that they make to, uh, uh, to different think tanks. In fact, think about it this way. Right now, I I just put out a piece on this a couple of days ago. Federal government, our officials, people in Congress, Mm -hmm. people in the Senate, have very limited budgets to have experts to advise them on technical subjects like tech. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the whole (laughs) spending on tech has just gone away in the federal government. So what does that end up, what effect does that end up having? It empowers the Facebooks of the world. It empowers the Googles of the world. It empowers big tech because, in effect, they're the only ones who come in and provide the expertise. And guess what? They Mm -hmm. always give the view that works for them. Mm -hmm. Trust us on this. No, 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 you can't do that. You'll blow up everything. It'll never work. And so I've gone back to saying we need to strengthen and have, again, an office of technology where we really have experts who are there to help advise, not on behalf of big tech, Mm -hmm. they're paying plenty, they got theirs. It's on behalf of everyone else. Mm -hmm. But again, it's for me, it's about strengthening the movement Mm -hmm. because that's the only way we'll have power to balance in the system. You know, when I talk to a lot of folks about this, sometimes people will say, well, just sign off of Facebook. And I always say Facebook has 2.3 billion users, which is more, followers than Christianity, right? And so just telling people to sign off, but explain to people sort of in the context of monopolies and antitrust, why can't people just sign off? Why is that not an acceptable sort of solution to structural problems? So think of it this way. Suppose somebody said to you, just sign off telephone. Yeah. Wait, what? And the answer should be, no, you have a phone number. And you can call anyone, whether they have, let's play the game, AT&T or Sprint or right, whichever one they have. You have a phone number, they have a phone number, and then there are different systems that connect them. Right now with Facebook, you have to be on Facebook to connect with someone else and saying to people, no, they get all the advantages of size because the only alternative for you is not to participate at all. That's what it means to be a monopoly. And and the problem with this is that you end up then, let's say there's uh, a competitor, WhatsApp, says we're gonna offer a lot more privacy protection. Mm -hmm. So a lot of folks might say, wait a minute, if I could keep my connection to everyone and move over 
to another system that offers a whole lot better privacy or that doesn't sell my personal data or that uh, it doesn't sell its services to white supremacists yeah. and so on. A lot of folks might be willing to make that change. But when Facebook says, whoa, a competitor, and then either buys up yep. the competitor and moves them in, or in other cases, stomps out the competitor, underprices them and gets rid of them, then there's only one model. And you're stuck with the model that does what? Maximizes the profits mm -hmm. for Facebook. When we talk about power, we talk a lot about, um, and we talk about issues, we talk a lot about people not experiencing issues, they experience life. Yeah. And that the forces that hold people back are deeply interrelated. So a racist criminal justice system yep. requires a media culture that supports that. Political inequality goes hand in hand with economic inequality. Mm -hmm. And so we constantly talk about what does it mean to build power for those who are most impacted. And, and you know, you talk a lot about corruption and about yep. stamping out corruption. Um, and corruption in a lot of ways is connected to power. I'd love um, for folks who are watching this and really, and we're trying to help them think about the intersection between corporate power and racial justice to help people understand how corruption, how the impact of corruption um, plays in a racial justice context. So here's how I think of this. I think about who government works for, because government is the ultimate setter of the rules, right? Mm -hmm determines what the rules are gonna be. And we have a government that works great for giant drug companies. It just doesn't work for people trying to get a prescription filled. It works great for giant oil companies. It just doesn't work for people who live in communities of color that are near those oil refineries. We have a government that works great for people who want to invest and make money in private prisons and private detention centers, just not for the people whose lives are destroyed mm -hmm. and whose communities are torn apart. So power is all about who the rules are really working for. And the way I see this, when you see a system that works great for those with money, mm -hmm. works great for those who already have power, and it's not working so well for everyone else, that is corruption. That's what corruption yeah. means. So what I argue, and this is kind of my whole yeah. idea behind running for president, is that our one power on the other side it's a democracy. There's more of us than there is of them. Now, if they're gonna do this, putting their money into investing in government, right, to get the rules going their way, that's obviously where they fight back. I think of it, maybe this is the way to say it. Think about how presidential campaigns are run. Most of the people who are running for president spend a lot of time with rich people yeah. and with corporate executives in their ears, telling them what they think are the issues. And I, they may even be well-intentioned people. They really may be. But at the end of the day, if we believe that the only way you can elect a president is that president has to go spend a whole lot of time with the people who have money and have power now, then we're going to see that same system just keep carrying through. And it undermines the whole notion of our democracy. 
But if instead we really do this grassroots, we really do yes. this through movement, yeah. then it's completely different. You know, you know, I made the decision when I decided to run for president, not only who I'd be fighting for, but how I'd be fighting. So I said, I'm not going to do any of these closed-door fundraisers. I'm not, I'm not going to spend my time, my call time, calling corporate executives. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to do this by building a grassroots movement. I'm going to do it through $5 contributions and $25 contributions and just count on a lot of people going to ElizabethWarren.com and saying, that's how mm -hmm. I think it should be done. I'll pitch in five bucks. And I do call time, by the way, by calling those folks mm -hmm. and saying, thank you. But it's two very different approaches to power in America right now. Is it going to be the rich people perpetuating themselves? Or are we really going to build this grassroots? Because mm -hmm. I always point out, it's a lot more of us than there is of them. Yeah. If we actually seize the power of this democracy, mm -hmm. we can turn this government around and this country yeah. around. The final question is um, a yeah. question I've been asking everyone. Because so much of the debates, so much of the, what happens on the debate stage, so much of what happens um, where counties come to the community and talk to us is about you know, what they're going to do for the black community, what they're going to do to strengthen issues impacting the community. And that's good. I mean, that's good. We, are, we, have, we are building power to force a new set of dialogues on the stage. But, That's I, but black people have also contributed so much to this country. Yes. And I'd love to know from you, who are the black people, the black leaders, the folks who have contributed to your understanding of politics, of, of advocacy, of w why you're here sitting um, with me right now and why you're out in the world right now championing the causes you're championing? Oh, that's a great question. So let me start. When you start with politics, the first name that comes into my mind is Elijah Cummings. I've worked with Elijah for a long, 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 long time now, long before I ever got into politics, but on economic issues. And Elijah taught me a long time ago that you fight from the heart. And you fight from the heart for what you believe in and for the people you believe in. Whether there's gonna be payoff, whether there's gonna be headlines, it doesn't matter. It's the right fight to have. That you fight for your brothers and sisters who are lost to addiction. Mm -hmm. That you fight for mamas who don't see a path to be able to finish their schooling and to, and to get good jobs. That you fight for people who bust their rear ends every day and just can't get ahead because salaries stay flat and expenses keep going up. And that you stay in those fights self-driven. You stay in those fights because they're the right fights to have. It's a part of, of who you are. And there's such an incredible dignity and meaning in that for me. So in a sense, it was Elijah when I first started arguing for the consumer agency and everybody said, no, you get in that fight because it's the right fight and you just stay in it and one day after another after another. And then we built the movement and, yeah. 
and then we got it passed into mm-hmm. law. So that's that's the first person mm-hmm. that occurs to me. It's great. And we know as a person, as an organization that has worked with you on a set of issues that um, the fight is real um, yeah. and that we do need inside and we need outside. And so good luck out on the trail. Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so good to see yes, you. Yes, you too. Thanks so much again to Senator Warren for joining us on the podcast. And thanks to all of our listeners. We recorded this interview a couple of weeks before Congressman Elijah Cummings passed away. We remember and thank Congressman Cummings for his service and being such an inspiring figure for so many of us. Next episode, self-proclaimed outsider Tom Steyer joins us. He's a billionaire candidate with an interesting take on racial justice. Don't miss what he had to say. Before you go, text, tweet, and email this episode to your friends. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Voting While Black podcast to catch next week's episode. Voting While Black is a national voter mobilization project based in Black joy and building Black power. We will kick off hundreds of brunches and other events in 2020 to bring Black folks and our allies together to get informed about the election. Sign up and be the first to hear about the Voting While Black tour at votingwhileblack.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this show possible, including our own Whitney Bugs, Tanika Boyd, Valerie Brown, Jennifer Edwards, Kwesi Chapin, Devorn Humiku, Vanessa Ross, Drew Daniels, Alexis Grishaber. Additional thanks to Ryan Sensor. This show was produced by Color of Change Pack in partnership with Neon Hum Media. I'm Rashad Robinson. See you next week.